Welcome to Bad Impressions. It's a podcast about digital marketing. It's a podcast about digital advertising. Why am I saying it that way? This isn't text for search engine optimization. I could have said just one. Anyway, thank you to Church Girls for our intro music and the upcoming bumper music and outro music. We have a great show lined up for you tonight. As always, I have Ryan Farley and David Shola here with me. We also have a very special guest, Lizzie Chapman. Lizzie, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, so I'm Lizzie Chapman. I'm VP of Technology Partnerships and Channel Sales at AdRoll. We're very excited to have Lizzie here tonight. She's doing a lot of interesting work at the nexus of some incredibly important stuff. E-commerce, the evolving online advertising landscape. One thing we wanted to kick it off with Lizzie on that is particularly interesting, that she has a particularly interesting viewpoint into via some recent experience she's had examining this, is the proliferation of digital media platforms, specifically everything becoming a media platform. If you work in media buying, you've seen the advancement of old platforms like the Walmart Media Exchange. You've seen new platforms arise. I'm pretty sure Kroger is doing something, but because I'm a resident of Atlanta where every Kroger has a nickname like Murder Kroger or Bomb Kroger, um, I can't think about Kroger without making jokes, so I don't know what's actually happening there. But the great news is that Lizzie knows a lot about what has been going on with both the urge of these properties to become media platforms and also the actual demand on the buying side for people to buy media and proliferating platforms. So with that, I'll I'll kick it to Lizzie for kind of an overview of what exactly started going on in that space. Well, the first place that you saw new platforms popping up was really across walled gardens, right? So, I mean, Facebook and Google have been doing this for a long time. Amazon got on board with it and started to build out what they were doing. And then you saw various other social media platforms decide they were going to build a ad platform as well. So LinkedIn, TikTok, Snapchat, for better or worse, Pinterest have all built out some form of this. and. I think other companies looked at it and said, we should do this too. Easier said than done. I think Walmart's a good example of a platform that they've been trying to build something for years and they just launched maybe their third version of a self-service platform. And so I think there's a few other factors that have come into play recently that have continued to push this. Obviously, COVID is causing everyone to stay at home, not go out to stores as much. And I think that's driving it, this trend even further. I just saw a stat the other day that said the growth in e-commerce just in the last year is what was expected over the next 10 years. So there is plenty of e-commerce business happening. And with that happening, more and more platforms or companies want to build a platform to take advantage of the ad spend that's going along with that e-commerce boom. And we can get into this more, but I think the other trend is with third-party cookies being deprecated. A company like Kroger or Walmart or Target has a ton of first-party data that they can leverage with advertisers directly. I think you even see with someone like a Shopify continuing to build their platform further, starting to invest in ad tech partnerships, potentially will build their own 
media uh, offering at some point as well or invest more into it. So there's a bunch of different things converging and causing this growth in companies creating their own ad platform. I think maybe an interesting way to think about it also is to look at the incentives and the disincentives that happen in that moment when you decide, okay, we're going off the rails that were built for everyone and the open public marketplace, and we're going to create our own platform that lives in and of itself. Reddit was for years just like a programmatic dumping ground, just a vast amount of inventory that was up on the open exchange. And their particular pivot seemed to be around both making people realize the potential value of Reddit, I would say context versus audiences, because I think the kind of subreddit targeting continues to be the most interesting thing there to a lot of people that wasn't really getting surfaced into the, the general programmatic ecosystem. But also it prompted people to also think a little bit about their actual Reddit creative, I think. I know a lot more people now who are running ads on Reddit are thinking a little bit about the fact that the ads are on Reddit and, and doing, if not a ton of work, at least a little tailoring to that versus it's the same 300 by 250 square coming in off in exchanges anywhere else. But I think the, the consideration for every one of these platforms is a little bit different in that moment. I think Reddit's consideration was very media and context specific and that they thought essentially well maybe we're a bit of a diamond in the rough and people are just buying the rough and we're getting thrown in with everything else let's see if we can get a few people to snap to attention and try and run some actual quality campaigns on our platform but it's probably a lot different and more complex for some of these new places coming on like a kroger or a walmart where to your point there's this this whole other consideration with customer data and how that provides some sort of shelter from the storm of cookie apocalypse. Do you think that that is genuinely a huge driver, that particular third-party cookie thing? Yeah, I mean, I think this trend was already happening, right? Because if someone like a Target can go direct to advertisers and not have margin taken out in the middle with other platforms, there's already an incentive to do that. But with third-party cookies going away, that really drives the demand side to want to take advantage of it. So beforehand, it's, there was an incentive for the supply or platform side to say, oh, we should build our own platform. But the demand side like to have their buying aggregated into one platform. It's easier to manage media that way. Now with third-party cookies going away, they're recognizing we won't have audiences to target if we don't go direct to these individual platforms where we can see success. And I think the platforms that do it well, Reddit's a good good example of like shifting how they marketed this. The platform can build a creative offering that works really well with their platform and have some type of native targeting. So the thing with Reddit that's difficult is it's mostly anonymous. You can't really have a ton of audience targeting, but if you can start to get really smart about the contextual targeting, which doesn't translate well in the programmatic world and offer that natively, buyers are going to be more likely to go and want to use that individual platform. And then what I think will be interesting is that as more and more of these platforms get created, it leads to more marketing automation tools happening or agencies building marketing automation tools to help enable um, the buying across all these individual platforms, which will be a whole new segment of companies somewhat maybe replacing 
DSPs or trading desks somewhere in between there. Yeah, when I was working on one of the, you know, the big snack conglomerate out of East Hanover, New Jersey, we had a lot of these conversations with Target, Walmart, the discussion of Kroger, you know, in terms of like really where a lot of their products are being sold directly to the consumer. And we had a whole lot of conversations in terms of like, how do we start to interact with all of these grocery stores becoming their own ad platform? And like, where do we assess where we need to like start to expand and reach into? And the big conversation went when the news broke about Kroger standing up their own platform, I was like, they're late. They missed it in terms of they're trying to reach into where Target and Walmart have already established as a brick and mortar that has a very strong e-commerce experience. And I would even argue that Target's ecosystem is even much more expansive, maybe even the Walmart with the, the card and the app and, and how much synergy all of these things really have in terms of their app ID and all of these unique IDs that they have on individuals based off of login and you know, the device ID and those kind of things from, from their app. And I was like, that's the, the secret. And that's what they're like, all these others that are coming into play now is Target had 10 years of the Target card and linking it to your devices and those kind of things, but even before they kind of even like propped up Roundel. Yes, there was always Target Media Group, but they, they stood that up. And I think that you're going to start seeing like maybe a lot more of this within the CPG space and then also beyond. It's like, how do you interconnect all of your different data points to even have a product offering for an ads product? That takes into account like the the deprecation of third party pixels and the iOS fourteen stuff, and like how do you start to then interconnect this to then have a viable ROI positive product to then sell to to advertisers and then like beyond. And I think some of the the grocery stores in particular have tried to do it with like a loyalty program, but if you don't have an already very well established loyalty program, it does become difficult. Things moving more online versus in store purchases does help obviously to start to identify that user, but the either having like a credit card or a loyalty program is the key to that measurement. So Target definitely had an advantage there. I think a recent company that has done really well in launching their platform is Instacart. The benefit of them is it's all online, so very trackable, but they did a pretty good job of quickly launching something this year during COVID. They were able to get a platform uh, up and running, which, uh, has seen decent adoption. It's interesting you mentioned the the potential future management layer, which is something I've been thinking about. I think a lot of agencies are getting a, a little excited already about this upcoming landscape because there's now going to be a deconvergence of the total number of platforms that people need to be running media on. And I think a lot of people are imagining human body hours. I can't help but think back because everyone's lens has to be a little autobiographical, whether they admit it or not, to uh, you know my first large organization digital marketing job, which was at a search ad tech platform, which is a space that has been pretty badly beat up. And I understand why it's badly beat up now. The place I work actually went out of business before COVID, finally kind of breathed its last breath. But When people who entered search after me looking at the search engines and understanding, well, these are kind of their own entirely self-contained ecosystems right down to data and tracking. So what the hell was the purpose of a search ad platform? I usually end up having the conversation about, well, really, there was no bid automation in Google. I'm that old. And so you you could do things like automate bids, but that kind of 
had me glossing over another truth, which is coming back to the forefront. Another reason was there were multiple viable search engines. And again, here's a Lisa old, how old is he joke. I'm not talking about Bing. I started working this before Bing. Yahoo was viable. It was interesting because when I started working in a search ad tech platform, while a lot of our value proposition in an era before bid optimization and other like creative rotation optimization didn't exist in the engines was doing that. One thing the tech solved was just, there were three to five engines you had to care about. And I, I can't help but think that there will be some version of ye old search platforms ride again in this era of like a, a grocery marketing platform. Lizzie, Ryan, David, like what do we all think about how this proliferation of platforms that need to be optimized in really does get tackled and how it should get tackled and how far apart are those? I mean, I think the one difference here is that there are brick and mortar locations. And as long as those stick around, there won't be as much of a consolidation of those as there were of search platforms. And now we you know, pretty much I'll use Google and a few others are trailing behind. I would be surprised to see that happen. People are still going to go to grocery stores for the foreseeable future. I think the interesting thing on the grocery store piece, though, is how regional they are, because then you're looking at like, you've tackled this one part of the country or this subset. And even if it then becomes parsed out, but then does it go into grocery store conglomerate mega platform, you know, like, there's no Kroger's in San Diego. I might be misspeaking. We can fact check me later. But like, you know, it's like, but it just, it's different. It differs so much across the country that like, how does that play into it? Yeah. And if you're a, a local brand, like maybe you can get away with working with one platform, but if you're a yeah. national brand, you're going to have to advertise on all of them. I don't think that any marketing automation platform has come out yet that's fully integrated with all these platforms. I don't even know if all of them have APIs that you could integrate with or if they're that far along yet. I don't know. David, did you come across anything in your research there? No, I mean, a, a lot of these different like scenarios are, are still segmented or, or segregated for its own you know, self-survival. The reason wild gardens exist is to keep themselves sustainable with as an ad platform. You know, like there, there's a reason why the data doesn't flow in and out. You have to work with us. And so I guess a similar conversation would be YouTube and, and Facebook in terms of determining like what a view is. There's a very specific reason why both of these two platforms have a different definition of a view. And so they cannot be easily directly compared to each other. And that is going to be taking place across the board for any of these other platforms that kind of come up. And I think that's going to be something that we'll just have to always like pay attention to. Like everything is going to be starting to be so segmented. You have to work on, you know, five to 20 different like e-commerce platforms because they don't talk to each other. There's no way they're going to open up their APIs and integrate with each other. And really all that does is hurt the advertiser because they have to now segment their money five to 20 different times and can't really leverage an algorithmic bidding solution. There's some, you know, that like work together, but not something that would connect every single piece together or even a majority of pieces. Like it's like it's a solution. It's a tool for one or two, but they still don't even cross talk even within that solution. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, maybe Amazon, Walmart and Target can get away with that. And if there will be pressure on the kind of like second tier of platforms to aggregate to some degree. 
I mean, Facebook does have an API that you can push campaigns into and pull reporting out of, but that's about it. And so I wonder if there'll be some marketing automation platforms that come out and try to do that, at least with the secondary tier of, of these platforms. But I, we don't have it today by any means. I'm already extremely interested in going to work for Publix on their grocery ad shopping platform. It's one thing I've decided. That's where my allegiances would lie. So if anyone from Publix is listening, I'd love to help you with this. I already have great ideas. Obviously, they're known for their excellent sandwiches, regional Southeast edition. I know like a bunch of people in like Connecticut and New York are in a riot because I said there's a good sandwich place in the Southeast. There is, but they call their sub sandwiches pub subs. So I've already determined that I'm going to have a little modal that tells you when you're doing something that's pub sub optimal. So obviously, again, if anyone from Publix is listening, I I will I will help you establish a Southeast regional dominant grocery advertising platform. Just uh, reach out to the old email address. You've already got the catchy marketing phrases ready to go. Which is all that matters in the first two years of any ad platform. So, Bizdev, check done. Anyone else have any grocery store chain allegiances they, they want to go to war for in the upcoming grocery platform wars? I really like Market Basket, which is a, a Northeast region. I don't think they've come out with a ad platform yet. I Actually, they might be owned by someone and I'm unaware, but they do a great job. Great prices. I know Safeway owns a million grocery stores or whatever the Safeway chain is, is called owns like 31 of them name brand wise. I was going to say, I think the local Vons in San Diego is a Safeway brand. Would you be all Vons, Randy? Would you, would you be building the Vons platform? Yeah, I'm all in on the Vons platform. The The regionality of grocery stores is kind of strange uh, in terms of like where they have their like their foothold. But also at the same time, when you really start to look at it, like it's all like distribution at that point in time in terms of where they're able to get their produce and send those kind of things. Cause they all, everything's perishable. So they have to really like manage their, their logistics to tie back into this conversation. It's like, it's going to make it tough for a lot of these like grocery stores cause they only operate regionally. And you deal with a lot of these like large companies that are national or international. And when it comes time to the budget only spread so thin, what's going to be cut, it's going to be these regional things that don't give them the scale and the reach across the entire country. And I think that's going to be something for for them to consider as they kind of move forward. There could be potentially a, a future where all of these regional companies merge to become this like even larger conglomerate just to be able to sustain themselves and have even more revenue or a different form of revenue as in terms of this an, an ad, ad tech solution to sell more, you know, cookies and crackers to, to the population that's so eagerly wants to just nibble on them and consume them. So, Well, it's kind of like the scatter market for TV, right? Like there's a lot of these local TV stations and whatnot that go and still cut IOs directly with local advertisers. And is there a way to, to automate some of that? Um, can a marketing automation platform come in and fit that need for all those regional stores? If someone's not already doing it, they, they should look into it. I also wonder if this ties a little bit back to some things we discussed in the previous episode, episode seven, about real inventory value and real attention value. And to tie it back to something even further in the past, 
David and I generally only take craps on things we did on behalf of Verizon Wireless while buying vast amounts of media. But there was one thing that actually, towards the end of our tenure, was kind of, to me, a positive indicator. You know, sometimes we were having those meetings and it was like, is it normal for the Amazon ad platform to have an average frequency of 71? You know, I'd put, put, on, put on two pairs of sunglasses for that one. And say, that's how you know it's working in a silly voice and walk out. One actual, that's how you know it's working, is where a vast amount of programmatic inventory ended up settling, especially as we monitored frequency a little bit and got better about some other things, was it settled into commercial formats. We were buying a vast amount of eBay that we did get a report at one point was in the phone section. Amazon had become very much a thing. And that was a long time ago. And I remember thinking, we're showing ads and they're succeeding in a format that is commercial and people are shopping there. I think that's valuable. Throwing it back to the last episode where we, we had Mark and Zach sounding the, the clarion warning of so much of this inventory is not real, at least in the sense of, of human attention. I think there's maybe a bit more of an incentive you know, to, to go back to Lizzie's excellent point about it's the demand side incentive that's that's coming. The sell side incentive was always there. The sell side is always going to be interested in a fragmented hellscape where value is not compared equally, et cetera. But the demand side incentive is really coming with the third party cookies. If we see some advancement also in the kind of thinking that says it's a little bit try hard to run on the Kroger DSP, I don't know. It's it's a single supply source. I I have good faith that at least commercially this is real. The only people who could possibly be getting paid are Kroger. I wonder if the negative view of certain forms of open market programmatic that are open to various forms of fraud help advocate for these these sort of walled garden platform. If someone is is CPG marketing in the way that you know, I was marketing phones in 2014. I think there's a lot of interesting and valid questions about the amount of real human attention they're capturing. If someone's doing the equivalent and yes, having to get a little sweaty and being in a situation where someone could say, well, you're not getting a fair value comparison across Target and Kroger, but they're only in these DSPs. Maybe they also have a solid argument. They're more definitively buying inventory that is in every sense a little realer? I think the interesting thing too is how, and I, I've been flipping back and forth in my head of whether segmenting this out so much makes it harder or easier for, like we we're saying, a smaller regional company where like if you're smaller and regional, you know you only need to tap into whatever the regional conglomerate is in your area and maybe Target, Walmart, Amazon. And that's all you really have the resources to do versus a bigger company where you have to tap into more of these things. But then also a smaller national company where then you're stuck somewhere and you're like, well, I, I don't have the human or financial resources to tap into all of these places I need to tap into. And all of a sudden, then you're looking at the same, you know, multinational snack companies kind of controlling all these marketplaces. It's interesting. I mean, Lee, I think to your point, there is an incentive there. Not only are the people visiting the sites most likely real, it's also like, what is their mindset? So 
you know, TikTok just came out with an e-commerce offering. I mean, Instagram had one forever. Uh, Snapchat tried to have some type of like performance offering. And the mindset and attention of users within social platforms is much different than the mindset of someone on an e-commerce platform. They're already there, ready to buy something. And so like thinking about not only the data that these platforms have, some of the measurement capabilities that we chatted about earlier, but the intent of the user visiting the page is really interesting. And that doesn't just apply to grocery stores like Wayfair has an ad platform. Lots of different e-commerce companies are starting to build ad platforms. And so if you're living in a place where you're already shopping and your, your ad is living in a place where you're already shopping, you already have an open wallet as opposed to Instagram where I'm just there to look at pictures. I'm not ready to buy something. And so there might be more of a draw from the demand side to be willing to go and set up campaigns in these individual platforms just because they get that that attention or mindset of the user as well. That's a, a fantastic point. And I, I think the value of shopping in a shopping environment and being presented with advertising in a shopping environment is vastly superior, maybe to a 10x multiplier. Outside of these individual platforms, Lizzie, we know you sit at the center of a lot of a lot of the e-commerce world in your current role. Is, is there anything that you think is, is of particular importance and salience to marketers in any position right now with this e-com run-up? So I think for smaller e-commerce companies, advertising actually tends to be towards the bottom of the list of things they do. So they, you know, get their website set up, get their billing or point of sale system set up. They start to think about how could they email customers? And then maybe the first step they take in to marketing is search. And they probably are not, they're a smaller company. Like they know how to do the thing that they do, which is sell a certain product. They're not marketers. And so oftentimes I think that is the struggle. I have a friend trying to set up a jewelry store right now and she's like, I don't get this advertising thing at all. And I think that is a place where companies like Shopify or WooCommerce that are the first stop for any e-commerce platforms can do a better job of educating their customers and the stores that they work with on how marketing can be impactful and provide a lot more direction of like where it will actually be impactful. The first places they push you are Google and Facebook, which are easy and obviously deliver good value on a return on ad spend. But as more platforms are available to utilize, it'll be interesting to see how much those core platforms help small businesses figure out how to navigate this marketing landscape. And as we said, the marketing landscape has consolidated in big ways. If it starts to become really decentralized again, then the Shopify's of the world have a big job in front of them to help e-commerce platforms figure out how to navigate them. So that's definitely one area. Um, for the bigger companies, I mean, I think they... They do a pretty good job of navigating it. They typically work with agencies to help them navigate it. It will be interesting to see how much the in-house 
strategy continues with larger brands to try to bring their teams in a house if the the marketing landscape is disrupted and becomes decentralized again and if the the agencies will have a another heyday or not I think that's really interesting because so many signs point to agencies being a potentially vital wellspring for all of these new platforms. If you said, okay, there's going to be a Kroger demand side platform, how on earth can a brand have Kroger demand side platform expertise? You might think, well, a great solution to that would be some sort of business that has a hundred clients on the Kroger demand side platform and can accrue a practice. So it seems partially to point to me to an era of great agency value. I personally will be extremely curious to see if agencies are capable of capitalizing on that effectively, knowing that it's a biddable media format and one that will probably require a skill set that is further forward in biddable media, i.e. basically just analytics and marketing information systems people uh, than ever before. So I, I think in theory, it could be an absolute agency heyday I wonder if it's it's traditional agencies or some new middleware breed that hits it. This brings me back to when we talked to Darren about the agency consultancy type thing, because I think this is where all of a sudden you get into a space where it's no longer about, oh, I'm a social buyer, I understand these platforms. Like It has to just be the type of person who can say, oh, another ad platform. You know, It's pretty much the goal is the same. And the verbiage might be different, but I can jump in here and buy an ad and succeed with that goal. I mean, I, Lee, I always remember one of the things that you would say to us when we were kind of first learning different search accounts across different clients was that it shouldn't matter if we knew what the client was or what the account was when we hopped into an account, but we should be able to run it just as well as the next person. And that's always stuck with me. And I always say that to other people because I'm like, not that hard. You just have to figure out like the main levers you need to pull. So I think to me, it actually becomes maybe that middle ground of it's not necessarily your traditional agency. It's just a bunch of people who are willing to get their hands dirty and figure out how to sell snacks. I think it'll be a, a potential same situation of these agencies think that they, they have some like grand expertise on a very like nuanced specific platform and they'll potentially discuss or prop up how nuanced this platform is when in reality that they're all going to be white labeled of something else. They're not probably building proprietary tech in terms of like their brand new like DSP. Like probably a lot of these are going to be, you know, white labeled or base code from something else and they're going to look exactly the same. TikTok looks exactly like Facebook. I know why. But I, it, it does. Uh, and so like they, they don't look functionally any different. So I think for even for these clients that are bringing stuff in house, it's not going to be that daunting and scary if a bunch of these little things like pop up because they're going to just be a different flavor of whatever they were working with like previously. And that, well, that's just me reading the tea leaves of what I expect. But there could potentially be conversations in terms of like, how do you approach that in like the consultancy world? But in terms of the value prop that an agency will bring, the segmentation of all of these different e-commerce platforms is really going to start to be like another slide on their cape stack uh, that's going to like sell in like a lot stronger. 
I think one area that you could see kind of that middleware consultancy agency format working well is helping brands figure out what their data strategy is in a world without cookies. Probably going to be much more heavily relied, well, one, on targeting platforms that first party data, but also on collecting email addresses and having that be the new way of doing things. And some companies and brands are already good at that. And some solely rely on cookies to handle a lot of the advertising that they do or third party audience segments. So that's an area that agencies have been working in to some degree with DMPs and customer data platforms. But I think that's an area where a consultancy could come in and help figure out a data strategy for a brand. I think an interesting differentiator, and I'm not sure that I can say an agency will be better about this or a consultancy will be better about this definitively. I think it'll come down to the incentive of building complexity to stay on board and protect the contract versus elucidating the true blinding simplicity of it all. And I think what I'm about to say honestly probably favors consultancies more than agencies. It does not have to. You could start a business tomorrow with your friends and operate on this model. But the billable hour, which has come under fire for an eternity, and I kind of rolled my eyes at because as we discussed on episode three with Olivia, a lot of times when a contract just has badly aligned incentives and expectations haven't been managed. People like to say, oh, the problem was it was billable hours for something else. I I think that can be kind of real though. And this seems to me to either be a huge opportunity for someone to come out and say, it could be simple. You have to will it to be simple and hire people to manage the complexity. But anyone who's coming back to you with a document that's mostly about how hard and complex and different it is, to manage the Kroger DSP versus the Albertsons DSP, that is not your friend. That is someone who knows only fear and not love and wants to burrow into you and tell you you're helpless. Versus someone who's like, look, back in 2015, I, I made a bunch of kids try to have to learn literally every single platform you could log into. And it, it baked their brains a little bit, but like it, it didn't go that badly. So here's the deal. This is all bullshit, and we got a bunch of of people who know how to sweep a stable, and we're going to do it smartly. I worry a lot of legacy agencies are going to see this as an incredible opportunity to be like, everything's impossible, (laughs) and like build billable hours on that. And I, I think there will always be a small but shrinking percent of brands who that wins with. I mean, I've seen it firsthand, and some of them have big pockets, but... Whether it's an agency or a consultancy, I think it will be someone to all of your points who's like, this is not that hard. Like each individual one is not hard. The hard issue to Lizzie's point is the data strategy. If we spend all this time pretending that activating in the individual platforms is hard, we've already lost the world. It's got to be about the data strategy and everything behind that. When I was working with Mondelez and we like were very bullish on Target or, or Roundel. And, and because one of the things that they, re- they were really like leaning into and what they were wanting to do is, is the what I call like what they were trying to like elevate their stickiness was their ability to kind of work with other like data providers. Like they partnered with like ADH and had the ability to 
one, make another revenue stream for themselves in terms of we didn't have to run any media through them. We just like paid them a data fee and we were able to, to match in the data clean room what we ran through our, our YouTube buys and, and the Google IDs, match that to the target like universal ID and then understand like, did more people that see our ad actually buy more cookies and those kind of things in, in store or online and those kind of things, which became the holy grail for a CPG marketer who really the only thing that like Mondelez and these other like grocery stores, their customer is these grocery stores, but they have no visibility in terms of the consumer. And so like, how do you market to that without any information? I think that's where like the, the data strategy, implementing these kind of things, kind of tying everything together and creating like a nice like bow in terms of the, the chart looks like this and that's a good thing, you know, up and to the right or it looks down and we can make it like adjustments based off that. But like there wasn't so much in this industry for marketing for, for CPG, which has been so much like flying in the dark. Some of these platforms are going to really offer a lot of illumination into what they need to continue to do and what they need to stop doing. But the caveat on a lot of those things is, especially for CPG and for like the targets and the Walmarts, realistically to have like the, the most amount of success on these platforms, your product needs to be sold also within those stores. Yes, that they can also leverage some of that data in terms of someone who buys uh, a lot of deodorant might need something else, you know, and you could, you know, or like the, they, they work out a lot, let's just say, and you could sell athleisure or those kind of things like through, through their, through their offering. But that doesn't necessarily mean that like, you're going to have like the most information for them. And maybe that's not necessarily the best platform for you to like invest your money in and those kind of things, even though you can make some consumer buying habits information based off of that, like it's still going to be guessing uh, and, and spitting into the wind sometimes. I know this has been like a very CPG heavy conversation. I think there are other places that ad platforms can be built. I think like point of sale systems and financial systems are a really interesting place that we haven't seen a lot of ad platforms be built. I know like Cartalytics has been trying to do something there. The difference is that that world is much more heavily regulated than the e-commerce world that can kind of freewheel and do whatever they want. But that data, especially as data is restricted across cookies and device IDs, is super relevant and great for brands to have. And if there's a way that banks or credit cards and point of sale systems can do a better job of allowing their data to be not just available like for point of sale systems for the direct customer they have, but any type of aggregation of that data, that becomes really compelling as a data source for brands. So it'll be interesting to see if as more and more ad platforms are built, if any of these other companies with valuable data are able to, to find a way to, to build an ad platform themselves. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the financial space is so fraught with opportunity and also danger because I think even before we reached the IDFA and privacy concern era, they were in a dangerous spot. You know, I advised one financial institution that if they thought they were following fair lending on Facebook because all of our human goons were simply not clicking anything in the platform, uh, demographic information, geographic information, targeting wise, that put them outside of fair lending, the very moment that they clicked automatically optimized to generate conversions, they were flinging themselves deep into unfair lending land. If you post hoc pulled any data 
about what that automatic optimization did based on data they couldn't even see, it would indicate the lending was very unfair. And then the only argument they have was, I simply indicated I had a goal and then the crimes are committed within a black box by an organization that I'm not a part of, i.e. Facebook. I don't know how far that flies in federal court. It did lead me to advise that it was probably better in the long run rather than to make fair lending about following rules to optimize to fair lending outcomes, i.e. basically try and design a loan portfolio that just was fair. That's not not something that's super favorable to financial institutions, given that I'm basically saying, be sure to lend to the people you're secretly trying not to lend to and make it your goal. But anyway, Carlytics is a big Atlanta company. So I know a lot of folks sort of floating around there, but it's, it's a great point. There's a lot of data value outside of CPG too. Yeah, and I know they, you know, they've recently taken some people from the ad tech world into their company to see what could they potentially build. You know, they have kind of like unique access to banking information that if they can anonymize it correctly, maybe they could do something with it. But yeah, it, it brings up an interesting point. It also is like interesting to start to think about, and this goes back to your last episode too. Will regulations or things that happen in the financial world come into play in what we're doing? And we're seeing that already with some of the walled gardens, but how will this continue to to follow suit across more of these platforms that are coming up in terms of the data that they have available? Choppy seas of the current regulatory environment. Hard to read. Yes. Get your sexton out. Ooh, we're talking ancient nautical equipment. That's that's exciting. It's also an entirely different podcast. Yeah, sorry, I crossed my. I, you know, I, I got confused on which one I was actually recording right now. <laughs> Circumnavigating with David Shola, the sailing podcast. <laughs> been tremendous and we we thank you incredibly for your great wisdom on it but you know as always being interviewers slash podcast hosts we constantly have to grub for more and more content and just squeeze the blood from the stone so now it's time to pose to you our key critical bad impressions question what's something in the sum totality of, of all that we do in digital marketing and advertising that you think just Stinks on ice. I think the need to measure everything that we do is the downfall of advertising. I think that it leads to optimizing towards bad incentives and doesn't necessarily drive the best results. And I was hopeful that with the third-party cookie going away that maybe we would move away from this, but we are just holding on to dear life, trying to find other ways to do it. And it's the only type of advertising where we hold on to this so dearly. I would love for us to be able to not look at like what the results are 
on a website and start to either measure that in terms of sales, but also to to maybe just move away from it a little bit and focus more on the messaging and what we what brands think could work based on other research and not be so beholden to the direct measurement that we're able to do. And I think it would open up a lot for brands and for companies to get more creative with what they do. I think that's an excellent hot take because I agree. Yeah, I think the world of attribution is on the precipice of a massive change, whether it's the platforms themselves or how advertisers have to, to view them because it's it's not going to be the same. It's not what everyone's you know accustomed to the growth that we've seen in terms of the trackability in, in air quotes that we've seen across different, you know, spaces that digital marketing is really like kind of like put its rubber stamp on. That's that's going to be gone for, for the most part. And how do you start to have better holistic marketing, better creative, better approaches, better strategy, better everything, because you're not going to see your numbers that you were expecting in platform anymore. You're going to see it on your balance sheet at the end of the year when your investor relations team put something together. You know, like, I mean, it's, it's going to be a, a lagging indicator in terms of true success uh, in the future. And we have to adapt. Well, and it's always duplicated in some form anyways. Like, there's never perfect attribution as is and over-reporting what the attribution was. And so it's almost like, why even have it if it's not? accurate. And so hopefully we'll see a, a transition towards focusing more on the upfront strategy versus the, the end results. It's hard. I've had to apologize to a lot of people for being a digital deterministic dipshit my whole life and just absolutely chasing the silly online person hit part of website, ring the bell, ring the bell, everyone celebrate. It's so difficult. And I just, in my personal experience, it's like, such a method of thinking that even as I try and like deprogram out of it a little bit, I fall back into these traps. It's like, it's going to be a painful detox, I think. Well, this whole conversation, we were like, ah, first party data. Like we're so fixated on how do we target the user? How do we figure out how to measure it? While we all know that it's not even that accurate. And so it's, we just hold on to it for dear life because it's it's what we've always. Oh, well, this was fun. Thank you guys. Thank you. That's yeah, absolutely. Really we, we, we appreciate your time uh, for, for coming on and, and uh, sharing all of your gathered wisdom uh, with us, uh, you know, knuckle draggers over here. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's, it's fun. I mean, I'm like in the process of learning more and more about the e-com world myself. So it was, fun to be able to do this and chat through the things I know now. And I'm always happy to come back. Mm -hmm.